Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. And happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Can we show a little love to our dads, granddads, grandfathers? Woo! Very thankful for you, your sacrifice, your hard work for your families, your words of wisdom, even when they're not taken, um, your prayers for your family. And I hope that this church and even this service will help empower you in your role as a dad and help you as you take your steps of following Jesus. We're so excited to get to partner with you and your family uh, every single weekend. Uh, this weekend, we're going to be kicking off a brand new series entitled, Why We Do What We Do. It is so important to understand why we do what we do every day in your job and what you do every day just at home. I know for me, the what of what I do, part of it is preaching, teaching on Sunday, leading our staff, leading our congregation, leading different things. These are the what behind what I do, but the why behind all of that is our mission statement that we do all this to help guide people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is one of the highlights of my week when I get to hear stories of how people are taking next steps in their growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I love that. As a matter of fact, we do it in every meeting that I'm in, just about. I, we, we share some way, shape, or form stories of where that's happening in our church, just to remind us of our mission statement. I was reminded, too, of this why, why before the what, just recently when I saw a video by um, Michael Jr. Now, Michael Jr. is a stand-up comic who happens to be a Christian, but in his shows, in the middle of his show, he usually will stop and interview somebody who's in the audience, and funny just happens in the middle. This guy has just got a talent for it. But in one of his shows recently, he was interviewing a guy who was a choir director at a military boys' school, and this happened. Check this out. Let me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me hear. We didn't plan this. Just so y'all know, we didn't, we didn't plan this at all. I'm just randomly talking. To, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, as if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh. 
All right, I wanted to show you that to show you that the first time he sang it, he knew what he was singing. The second time, he knew why he was singing it. Do you see the power of the difference, right? I want you to see that when you know your why, your what now has more impact because it is infused with purpose. You know why you're doing what you're doing every single day. And you need to know that as a stay-at-home mom, as a school teacher, as a dad, as a whatever your profession is, every single day. You need to know the why behind that. And we need to know the why behind why we come together, even to worship the Lord. The why behind being a Christian. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Because there's an awful lot of confusion around this word, Christian. And if we ask the question, like, because we know what an American is, you know what a Canadian is, but, but here's a question that I think we need to be able to answer. What is a Christian, right? I think that's a pretty important question to be able to answer. And it's, oddly enough, if you go to just about any city across this country and ask 10 different people this question, you're going to get about 10 different answers from religious to political, all kinds of it's just kind of a, a catch-all bag of lots of different things. So we need to talk about this a little bit. That this word right here has caused an awful lot of confusion. As a matter of fact, if we made it even more personal, let's say you were the person on the street and somebody came up with a microphone and a camera and they were to ask you this question, are you a Christian? How would you answer that question? Now, for a lot of us, you might say, Yes, but let me clarify. Let me get a chance to define what I mean by Christian because I don't know where you're coming from and what you think of when you say Christian. So I feel like I need to clarify that a little bit. Yes, but why is that? Why is there so much confusion around this one single word? Why is that so confusing for so many people? And what I'm going to share with you today might shock you and it might challenge your understanding of what this word means, because I'm going to share with you some information from the New Testament that may cause you to come away with a completely different understanding and idea of what that word is, and maybe there's a better way to talk about what we're trying to talk about when we say Christian. Part of the reason why it is so confusing to talk about this word and to use it as a category to describe our faith is because it was only used, it only appears three times in all of the Bible. Only three times. And in all three occasions, it's never defined. And every time it is used by outsiders to describe insider, people on the inside of the community of faith in Jesus Christ. God never uses this word to describe his people, not once in the teaching of Jesus. Do you see Jesus using the word Christian to describe his followers? He just, it's just not there. But what I'd like to do is take a minute to show you the very first place that Christian shows up in the Bible at all. It's in the book of Acts. And for those of you who are not familiar with the book of Acts, Acts is a, it's just a, uh, a word that represents the acts of the apostles. It is a story of how the church got started the church all the way down to the one you're sitting in today, it started from this story, this historical record in the New Testament of how 
in the New Testament church after the resurrection of Jesus began. And one of the things that we're told early on in the book of Acts is that massive persecution broke out in Jerusalem against the believers in Jesus Christ. So intense, so horrible, that it drove many of them to scatter to outer uh, cities. And one group of these believers that were formerly Jewish but now Christian went to a city in the country of modern-day Turkey, a city by the name of Antioch. They went there and began to share the story of Jesus. They began to, to tell, we witnessed this Jesus Christ who claimed to be the Messiah, who said he would die and then resurrect. He claimed to be the Son of God, that he was going to take away the sins of the world, and then he did it. And we witnessed the resurrected Jesus. It wasn't just us. There was over 500 other people. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that you can talk to that saw him up walking around and witnessed his resurrection, witnessed the fulfillment of everything that he promised. And by the hundreds, people began to convert and become followers of Jesus Christ right there in the city of Antioch. And word makes its way back to Jerusalem, back where the kind of the church leaders, the, the, it's now the 11 apostles, as you remember, Judas hung himself, so there's only 11 now. Um, and so the 11 apostles hear about how many people have come to Christ in Antioch, and they say, we need, like there's already a church, but there's nobody to lead. We need to send somebody over there. So they send a guy named Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas shows up and goes, whoa, I need backup, all right? There's too many people. So he goes to a city called Tarsus and finds this guy named Saul, who later we come to know as the Apostle Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. But what I'm about to show you in Acts chapter 11 is Paul's very first ministry assignment that we see. It's in Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 20, uh, 25. Here's what it says. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now, if you would, let's read the highlighted word together. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, the church existed long before the church in Antioch got started, the church of Jesus Christ. It had been around for a while. No one had ever called them Christians before. Where did that word come from? To answer that question, we've got a... Um, look to the writings of the Roman Senator Tacitus, okay? The Roman Senator Tacitus did not write the New Testament, okay? But he was considered one of the greatest Roman historians of all of history. And so he wrote, though, many things that we understand today that we, we uh, understand about the Roman culture came from Tacitus. As a matter of fact, he tells us that in uh, AD 64, it was the Roman uh, Emperor Nero who decided, I want to start over the city of Rome, so I'm going to burn it to the ground. Well, that didn't work out so well, and there was a massive revolt against him, so he blamed the whole burning of the city on the Christians. You know how we know that? Because of the first century writing of Tacitus, Cornelius Tacitus. And I want to read to you some of the writings of Tacitus right now that pertain to what we're talking about today. Here's what he wrote. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. And who were they called that by? By the populace. 
it was Rome that called them Christians first. And he goes on to explain where'd the word come from. Christus, from the Hebrew Messiah, or Christ, is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one of God. He says, Christus, from whom the name has its origin, came from Jesus' name. He says, he suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. So he confirms the New Testament historical account of Jesus' crucifixion. That yes, in fact, this Christ did live, he he taught, he died, and he has these followers, and I can't hardly, I can't explain it. It's unbelievable, but the name came from those outside. It was the outsiders who gave the name to those on the inside. It was a derogatory name. The people on the inside of the faith of Jesus Christ had a different name. It was very specific, it was personal, it was convicting, and we're going to get into that more in just a second. But Christian was different. It was vague. It was undefined. This is why Christian, you can use the word Christian and be on either side of just about any political issue, about any issue that there is still to this day. You can, Christian, uh, you can't get 10 different people to uh, agree upon it. Christian, this, part of the reason its vagueness has caused all these knockoff religions that have come off of Christianity. Part of it is the vagueness of Christian. It's part of the reason why we have so many denominations, and many of which can't even get along. Why did all this happen? Because Christian isn't defined anywhere in the Bible. It's not. It's part of the reason why you can call yourself a Christian and do like the most immoral stuff ever, but no one can go to the Bible and say, well, it says right here, Christians shouldn't do this and they should do that because the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> it simply doesn't. Now, we're going to get into what does the Bible say? The term the Bible uses to describe a follower of Jesus is disciple. Disciple. This is a radically different term. It is very specific. It is defined. Jesus talks about it a lot. He gives us very clear parameters. He talks about what it means, and we're going to talk about that. Christian, and you can run and hide behind that all day long and do all kinds of stuff because it's not defined. But let me define disciple for you real quick. Disciple simply means a pupil, a learner, a follower. A pupil, a learner, a follower. And someone who is a disciple is someone who says, hey, I have a relationship with God, so my decision-making process is different than other people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a part of my relationship with Jesus Christ, when I go to make a decision, is that I'm going to pause and say a prayer something like this. I'm going to make it as easy as possible. What would you do, Jesus? Like, what would you do? Like, in this situation that's really hard at work or at home, what would you do? And you know what's beautiful is that Jesus has already spoken to lots and lots and lots of those issues in the Bible. He's already addressed them. There's incredible wisdom that we can derive from it. We don't always like maybe what he said, but it becomes very easy if we want to, to be a follower, to say, I know what he wants me to do. And then once you understand, you say, okay, I'll do that. I'm going to do that. Being a disciple means that even before you pray this prayer, ladies and gentlemen, you've already decided your answer. 
my yes is on the table. I'm already going to say yes. Lord, you just show me what I need to do. Well, Will, what about really difficult situations like in relationships? <laughs> relationships are really hard to love people. Well, let's take a look. Jesus says to love your spouse, your husband, your wife, to love your neighbor, and to love your enemy. Well, as far as I can see, every person I'll ever meet, every person you'll ever meet will fit into one of those three categories. Your spouse, your neighbor, or your enemy. Now, I know sometimes your spouse may be in one of these other two categories sometimes, but, but you're supposed to love them anyway, regardless, right? And Jesus not only commands that we love them, he shows us how to love them. We're going to do that more in just a little bit. But it's extraordinary how he lays out for us, here's how you do it. Here's, I want you to follow me. This is a relationship, and you can help other people begin to have the same kind of relationship and fellowship of me. It's extraordinary. It's amazing. It's life-changing. But it starts with how you make decisions. It's radical. Changes everything. And that decision-making process will begin to change the way you live. Now, don't worry. I'm not advocating today to say, let's never use the word Christian ever again. Well, we're revolt against the world, right? That's not, that's not what this is about. And that's what you're getting today. Forgive me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, let's get down to the why behind the Christian. Why? The what being Christian. What are you? You're Christian? Well, okay. Why? What is it? Being a disciple. And what does that look like? And what's beautiful is this, in the book of Acts, we have pictures of what it looks like, people living it out. In Acts chapter seven, or 6, verse 7, it says this, so the word of God spread. The number of, let's say it together, the number of disciples, not Christians, in Jerusalem increased rapidly. We know that it grew by the thousands and thousands and thousands. And then we're told in chapter 9, verse 36, in Joppa, there was a, there was a let's say it together, there was a, a disciple named Tabitha, so I guess she was a disciple-ette, okay? She was a disciple She was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, why was this woman always doing good and helping the poor? Because she was a, a disciple. She's saying, well, this is what Jesus would do. That's what I'm going to do. And she shined like a star in the night sky in Joppa. Everybody knew her because she loved people so well. She did good and she helped the poor and she helped people around her. She went out of her way to bless and to serve other people. Why? Because Jesus had done that for her. This is what it looks like. It's beautiful when it's lived out. The other two places that Christian, by the way, is used in the New Testament is in 1 uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 16, where Peter basically says um, that people were persecuting Christians, outsiders persecuting the Christians. He's talking about that, that calling them Christians and persecuting them. And then another place over in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, where the apostle Paul basically is being held trial before King Agrippa. And he's telling him the story of Jesus and beginning to share the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins. And King Agrippa says, hold up there, Paul. Do you think that in such a short period of time you're going to convince me to be a Christian? And those are the only three times in the New Testament that we have the word Christian brought up. 
And it was always outsiders talking about insiders. Or it was, it was a reference that was brought in by the Roman government. So the question I want you to ask before we go any further, which I think is so important that all of us begin to ask in our heart, that are you a disciple or are you just a Christian? Are you a disciple? Are you really beginning to say, you know what, I'm going to take seriously my decisions, how my life impacts my neighbor, the person I, I live next to, work next to, the people I live with? Do I look like? Does it feel like? Do I get to, do I be, uh, get to be a representative for Jesus wherever I go? Do I see it that way? Or do I kind of turn it on and off? You know, church, kind of do that, and then I do something else over here in this context. And how is that for you? How has that lived out for you? Because Jesus talks about right before his last Passover with his disciples and, and those that were his followers, right before the crucifixion, he sits down with them and all these people present all wanted to be disciples. They were eager to be disciples. And Jesus unveils something really powerful and really beautiful. He says, I want to show you something right now that if you do this, if you get these next couple of things I'm about to tell you right, humanity and Christianity will take a huge step forward. But every time that you get this wrong, and we've seen this throughout history, Christianity and humanity takes a huge step backwards. Because what Jesus is about to do, is he's about to radically change the way, the lens through which we look at other people, all other people, even really hard to love other people. And he lays this out for us in John chapter 13, starting with verse 33. Here's what he says. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. A new command I give you. New, it's, it's, this word new means different, strange. It's like, it's not like anything you've, you've done before exactly like this. And then he says, love one another, which I'm sure they're kind of looking at each other going, it's not that new, okay? We've had that one for a long time since the Old Testament. But then he adds on something that is brand new. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In the same self-sacrificial way you see me loving you and what I'm about to demonstrate for you on the cross, that's the way. And that's to the extent to which I want you to live lovingly towards people around you, your spouse, your neighbor, your enemy. Whoo, are you kidding, Jesus? He says, by this, like this one distinction... This one distinction, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, not Christians, my disciples, if you love one another. This is the thing that will make you stand out like stars in the night sky, in the, in the country that you live in, the land that you live in, in a world that desperately is looking for me. They will see me as you learn to begin to live as I lived to love like I loved. Jesus had such an impact on these men that had become his disciples. He looks at Matthew. Imagine this conversation. Matthew, you remember that day we met? Yeah, Lord, I do. I was a hated traitor among my people. I was a tax collector. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with me. 
He says, yeah, so what did, what did I do? You came to my house, and we had this big party at my house for all of my notorious sinner friends, right? I invited all of my tax collector and sinner friends over, and everybody misunderstood what you were doing. All the Pharisees and religious leaders stood out saying, he should be talking to people like that. What's he consorting with people like that for? He must not be very holy. I can't believe he would even give them the time of the day. He was like, he's in there laughing and having a good time with them. What's he doing? You and your disciples came and poured into and loved on all of my friends that weren't even welcome in church. And Jesus says, go and do that for one another. Peter, you remember that time you blew it? Yeah, Lord, I wish you hadn't brought that up, okay? Yeah, that night that I was on trial for your sins, you denied me three times. Yeah, Lord, I remember that. You remember the next time that I saw you? The conversation that we had? I do. I'll never forget it. What did I do? Did I run you down? Did I try to make you feel guilt-ridden, shameful? Did I try to beat you down with what you had done wrong? No, Lord. You forgave me. You reinstated me as an apostle, as a, as a disciple. You showed me love and mercy that I did not deserve. Go and do that for one another. Show that kind of love to other people in your life. And then you're learning how to be a disciple. That's what I want you to do. Jesus is showing us. I want you to go out in the world, and when you begin to love like me, share my love with other people, to be my voice box of encouragement and love and care, and to introduce people to me, invite them with you to church, show them my love with your energy and ability and talents and skills that I have given you, when you do that, you will show them what they're missing. They will be drawn. They will be attracted. I want you, I want, when the outsiders look in, I want them to say, wow, look at the way the men treat the women. Look at the way the women treat the men. Look at the respect and the kindness and the love Look at the way the husbands and wives treat each other. Look at the way they raise their kids, the way they love them so well. I want them to be saying, that's the kind of person I want to work for. That's the kind of person I want working for me. That's the kind of man I want marrying my daughter. That's the kind of woman I want marrying my son. That's what I want. Make it attractive. Make it beautiful because that's what I intended. You see, loving like Jesus loved is what he says would define his disciples. Not only would it define his disciples, but it would be the most attractive way to introduce someone to Jesus. It's the most attractive way. There is no other way around. Shouting louder, your point, is not going to do it, okay? Arguing it better, sending hateful emails and posting stuff in social, that's not going to get it done, I promise you. I talk to people all the time saying, this is why I haven't been to church in years. Just the hatefulness and the anger and the like the opposite of love, the opposite of what Jesus commanded. And every time we forget what he commands, the value of people drops in this world. And when the value of people drops, we stop treating them with the same kind of value and love that he intended. And when collectively we do that, then human beings all the way across the spectrum lose their value from the womb to the grave. 
They stop being important. They stop having value. Everything comes to a screeching halt because we've stopped learning how to love. It is the ethic of Jesus that brings us this ability to love, hard to love people, and to love people that other people say, nah, you don't need to, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about them. You just go on and do your thing. You do you. You make you happy. Jesus says, you know what will actually make you happy is learning to live like me, learning to love other people well. And Jesus says, and if you will be willing to do this, not only will you finally know your why behind being a Christian, behind your what, but you will change the world. This is how we changed the world the first time around, where thousands and thousands and thousands and, and eventually hundreds of thousands of people turned to faith in Jesus Christ because they saw something that was irresistible. It was a love that they could not turn their back on. They couldn't find it anywhere else. It was beautiful and it was impactful. And Jesus says, and I want to do it again. I want to do it with this generation. And I want to do it with dads in this room. I want to do it with moms in this room. I want to do it with students in this room. I want to do it with people, anybody who's willing to say, I'll be a disciple. I will step up. I want you to use me, Jesus. I want you to make, use my life to make a difference in this world. I don't want to just coast through with the title Christian and hope for the best. I want to be a disciple, fully engaged. Use me, God. It's so important. And over these next two weeks, I encourage you to come back because we're going to unpack what it means to love like Jesus, to really get into the nitty-gritty. What does it require of you and I? We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks, the why we do what we do. And finally, let me just say this. I know most of you here consider yourself a Christian, but are you a disciple? Would you be willing to take that next step of saying, I haven't really taken it that seriously, Will, if I'm honest. Or maybe you have, you've been a disciple in some areas, but if you're really honest, there's other areas where you go, eh, that's kind of more gray, I'm not really fully committed there. And it's time to invite Jesus into every aspect, in your relationships, into your finances, your future, your career, your education. He says, I want to bless it. I want to give direction. I want to help you. I created you. I gave you a plan. I gave you a purpose, and I'll infuse it with great purpose if you'll begin to live for the why. And here's the prayer of application. I'm asking you to pray with me today, simply saying, Jesus, show me the area or areas of my life where I am not truly following you as a disciple. Not a Christian, but as a disciple. I surrender all of me to you. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.